Welcome to The People on k 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons, and we're your hosts on The People. The People features the voices and ideas of the people that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond on k 1630 AM every third Sunday at 3, like a broken record magically repaired. In Chinatown, Los Angeles, set your dial to 1630 AM or listen to the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. The People is hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. And there you can look at images of and find out more about our guests' work as we're talking about it here on The People. The music you heard at the top of the show was a song called We All Come From Two by Hotel LaRue, which is Adrian Tenney, John Barlog, and Jade Thacker. The song was commissioned by Cam Lab for their Mocha engagement party, which we'll be talking about later in the show when we get to the collaboration between our two guests today on The People. Anna Mayer and Jemima Wyman, welcome to The People. Welcome. Hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And so we're going to talk about the collaborative effort, Cam Lab, uh, later in the show. But first, we're going to start with each of your individual work. And so, yeah, we'll start with we'll start with Anna. Uh, uh, Anna is an artist uh, who's shown at Night Gallery in Los Angeles, has been included in the Hammer Museum Venice Beach Biennale, uh, and she has an upcoming show in October of two thousand and thirteen. Thirteen <laughs> <laughs> at year. Commonwealth at Commonwealth and Council in Los Angeles. Uh, she lives and works in Los Angeles. The first thing that we wanted to talk about, you, you sent us a few images, and as we've said, they're up on the blog, uh, the People's Blog, so go and check them out if you're listening to the show and want to know exactly what we're talking about. But the first thing I wanted to talk about is the title of the first piece you sent us, which was Always Making So Many Connections. And there's like, it's such a great title. It, it, it is about making a connection, but there's also some kind of tension that seems uh, even embedded in the title. Well, that work is from a series where I make ceramic portrait mugs of two people at a time, and it's two people who couldn't otherwise be together, I bring together in the work. So the image you have there that's up on the blog is um, the portraits are of me and my ex-boyfriend, and I'm working on one right now that's well, it's my current current partner and my sister, but um, it sort of spans time in that it's my sister when she was a little girl and my current partner, the age he is now. So the, the series is about making connections between people um, and, and that can be like a really literal thing in that it's two people who've broken up or it's two people who because of the way we experience time can't can't be together in one moment and they're physical objects that you kind of that you make in a pair and give to two different people right so it's no they just they they're in my possession or they're shown as the pair and um they always stay together who else what are the other pairs um, the second one in the series is me and my mom at my age, so the age I was when I made it. So another piece that we have featured on the People's Blog is unimplanting composite, which has more of a like a real live social component to it versus the more static uh, kind of aspects of of the ceramic heads. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk 
about how, like, the experience of making those two things and the experience of viewing those two things uh, differ or relate? You mean between the the mugs, that kind of work, and then... Sure, the stuff that you kind of do on your own, even though it's about relationships between people, and the stuff yeah. that you do that is still about the relationship between people, but you, the creating process is a, is a communal process. Right. Right. Well, I mean, in the case of unimplanting, where I, I had an event in someone's backyard where I dug a pit and then fired ceramics in the pit. And then I did a performance around the fire and Corey Fogle did a kind of soundscape around the, um, as part of the event too. And then now the work exists as, exists as a wall sculpture that has these like 70 odd instruments that I made for the event that Corey used in his performance. And so, in that case, you know, the um, the ceramics and the wall hanging are um, artifacts of the event, um, and I'm, I'm happy for them to kind of exist as artifacts, whereas the other works are more, I guess, modeling relationships or, or modeling a, a way of being together or modeling a way of bringing people together, which is what I'm doing. And so the unimplanting word of mouth beats is, is more kind of evidence of a shared lived relationship than like the mugs that you did, which are, which is, you know, creating almost a, a mo well, the model, a modeling a, yeah, a relationship. Yeah, or a proposition. And yep. yeah. And where did the 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 ceramics in the unimplanting piece? Where did they originally come from? You didn't make them on site, or I I made them in the studio and then fired and, them okay. on site. Yeah, and then some of them are actually instruments that are played and yeah. So they're megaphones, shakers, and bells that were used in the performances um, that night. So could you? Uh because I get, I get like where those two pieces that we've talked about are located, but where does the, the no end of channels three, astonishment rather than compassion, where does that fit in, like, in that spectrum of static, staticness to, to really communal uh, making? Where, is it, where does it fall in there? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's also a proposition. Um, the... the this is part of a series, the No End of Channels is a series of these pipes. And so they, they use language, there's text on them. And the, because of how they form knots, you're kind of reading, the, your, your comprehension is slowed down a little bit and it follows this um, like line and space, and so the way that I think about them is they're um, they're mapping the space between um, a body and the environment around it in the way that like smoking does or or consuming something does, but then it's also. Um, the, the proposition is in the kind of plurality of voices that are represented in the, in the text. So, so tell us about the text on that piece in particular then. 
Um, Because you get it, we get a snippet of it, something like, if my life depends, or it's just in the image that we're looking at. But um, yeah. Yeah. I can't tell you exactly what it says because there's enough of it, and then there's the other side. So, or then how do you how to, do you even come to compose yeah, that text? Yeah, so it's um, it's kind of journalistic in that it's it's um, I make the I make the pipe and then I kind of write for it, and so the writing is is me processing things that I'm reading or thinking about at the time. Um, but it's also it can the language can get fairly personal or or expressionistic um, or diaristic. Um, but and is it also to do with the the incantatory? Is that how you say it? Oh, uh, the yeah. incantation. So yeah, I mean it's also um, the language that I use. I I it's. It's not in reference to advertising. It's not. Um, it's a really particular tone that I want to achieve. That's not didactic, and again, that's not in reference to advertising. It's not ironic, but it's it's just a very. It's actually a very narrow um, position from from which I'm speaking, mm-hmm. and so I want it to be. I'm interested in incantation and how language can bring about action or bring about change or or um, some kind of relationship. And so in that very specific tone that I'm trying to achieve, it's allowing things to happen, but also um, what happens in the viewer hopefully is not just a reaction or something in the way that you might have to... Um, I don't know, like a, uh, an Ed Ruscha voice or something like that. Yeah. Well, Jemima, do you, it would be, I think, interesting if mm-hmm. you spoke to Anna's work, like whatever yeah. you want to say about it, and we'll expect the same out of you <laughs> later on. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. But. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, I guess, I guess um, just while Anna was talking, I was thinking about how it is really about this in-between thing but between like embodiment and then using language to evoke embodiment and kind of um, put out the desires of the body and the and the desires of um, that we have in terms of the relationships we want in our lives and so it seems like that kind of comes up in the work a lot that it's like language is also a vessel for things to be kind of made material along with the materiality of the work and w- working with heavily, um, or like I guess clay is so visceral, so it's like it, I kind of draw those relationships between the text and then the physical kind of making in Anna's practice. But yeah. and I like I like the fact that you're using as you in the title. I mean, it says underglaze, ceramic, or you're pit firing. You're not doing like the high gloss glaze mm-hmm. and the kiln. It's probably partially because of availability and ease with, you know, with which to make the work. Well, I mean, the thing about pit firing is that's what people did before there were other kinds of kilns. So, I mean, I'm interested in the, the DIY aspect of it, as well as the, the fact that when, when you pit fire, you can throw whatever you want into the fire. You can throw organic material, um, 
Or tampons or what, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or coins, like right. sometimes yeah. Anna's work with coins and like how that they affect it and how they affect the, the surface of the objects and bowls and yeah. instruments and stuff. So there's all these like indexes to, and histories in terms of the firing that register on the surface. Yeah, it seems like a lot of your work and the collaborative mm. work, which we'll talk about later, like <laughs> is, and this is probably super reductive, but a part of it is like is recreating that communal experience, that primitive communal experience around the fire, which was such an important part of human history for ever and ever and ever <laughs> and ever iPhones, right? And TV, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. Accurate or close? <laughs> accurate or not accurate? <laughs> accurate or not? <laughs> well, I mean, I yeah, I think together we're interested in putting bodies in proximity and I think that's something that hap that happens around the fire because because the event is the fire sure. and people don't really need another reason to be there right yeah well so let's so let's uh, redirect our attention to Jemima Wyman's work you know, Jemima is an artist who splits her time between Los Angeles and Brisbane Australia uh, she's had a solo show recently in April mm -hmm. at Steve Turner Contemporary uh, it was a great show. We're going to talk about some pieces specifically that were in that show today. Last year, she was in the Liverpool Biennial, and she's working on an album cover for the John Steele Singers. Mm -hmm. They're cool That's correct. Here. Exciting stuff. <laughs> the title of the album is Everything's a Thread, so it's appropriate. Okay. Segway, segway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to my work. <laughs> Maybe you could talk about, and I'm going to quote you too, um, you can talk about some of your pieces that we have featured on the blog also. Um, and speaking of thread, yeah. a lot of fabric pieces. Um, that, in your words, are or, or create or become uh, an empathetic device and or resistance strategy. And that seems to make sense to me and sounds awesome, but I, <laughs> tell, me, tell me the relationship between uh, resistance and empathy. Resistance and empathy. I'm trying to think of the best way to soundbite that, if it's possible. You know, we got time. But I guess the reason that I work a lot with fabric and masking is because it kind of uh, exaggerates the surface of the body and this idea that there's a separation between this kind of private space and public space. And so often in my work, I use masking so that it can kind of. Um, set up, uh, I guess, a metaphor for being able to exchange positions or think about what it is to inhabit another body. So, um, so the, first, <laughs> the first piece, Tactical Services and Making Cover, I feel like works directly with this. Um, it, it's, a, it's a patchwork kind of quilt of, mm -hmm. a, of fabrics that reference a bunch of different, a bunch of different uh, protest movements, mm -hmm. Pussy Riot, Black Bloc, Free Palestine, Occupy Movement, and Arab Spring. Mm -hmm. um, and so with a piece like that, it's not, it's not like that piece is more a display piece. It's not a, it, talk about that piece and to me, uh, how is it different than like the kind of the clothing type pieces that you've done in the past? It feels like, it feels very different. Yeah, I guess I oscillate between uh, wanting to produce work that's really kind of uh, visually aggressive and that can kind of talk about how uh, how the visual space operates in terms of embodiment and in terms of a spectacle and then with the fabric pieces that people can actually wear 
Um, that's talking about uh, embodiment and being in a body. Um, and so with the quilt work, it's kind of more about a philosophical proposition or like a philosophical anthropology in a way. So it's more about uh, a cosmology of different groups uh, that use masking to protect their identity, to have a voice and also to come together as a communal body and to have power in that in a really visual space um, of embodiment and also as a kind of grassroots strategy that you could use a mask to do that and that you could be this kind of thronging mass or this thronging body mm. that could do something potentially in a public space. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to cut your individual time short, but mm -hmm. since we're on the subject of thronging masses... <laughs> thronging um, masses. Maybe, and you can take the lead, but maybe you could talk about, and because I, I know it's a cam lab thing, not specifically mm -hmm. Jemima Wyman thing, but mm -hmm. maybe talk about the thing that you guys did at uh, Occupy Los Angeles. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. So we uh, used a really large section of fabric. I think it was 60 feet long. Yeah. And we invited people at the Occupy site to cut a head hole in the fabric and occupy the fabric. And one of us stood at, on the top of the steps of City Hall and the other stood on the path, on the footpath and uh, stayed there for a number of hours and just kind of allowed people to occupy the fabric with us. And so uh, with that series of work where we either document our bodies in the landscape with the fabric or uh, perform in this large, large piece of fabric, it's actually about uh, female bodies taking up space and kind of having a real presence. Um, and I guess in that case, it was actually an obstacle that was like intersecting or penetrating that space as well. Well, and it's also about where, especially in that case, we were kind of hosting like this um, space. Uh, but then once you stepped into it, it, it's cozy, but it's also like the pressure's on to engage. I mean, your body's in proximity to someone else's and yeah, you sort of have to be present um, in a certain way. Just to kind of gloss a little bit a couple other pieces of yours but mm -hmm. the free pussy riot thing the free pussy riot crazy quilt and yeah. you know they were wearing you were talking about like um clothing that you wear to kind of have a yeah. kind of an anonymity but the crazy quilt piece that you made is it's and in, i feel like you've done a couple pieces that engage directly with pussy riot mm -hmm. as well as other protest movements but there's a few great pieces from the steve turner mm -hmm. show that were directly addressing that and Talk about, I mean, I don't, you know, tell me about, because you used work, you use the balaclava in your work a lot, mm -hmm. and you guys actually, I think, in many uh, collaborations as well. Can you tell me about the balaclava? Is like, um, is, it a, is it now like a feminist uh, clothing <laughs> item? <laughs> I guess I was interested in a, a, some time ago in relation to the Zapatistas and how they were using it um, across. Gender and also it initially started with some subcommando Marcos wanting to wear it and also open up the conversation to other groups of people so that the individual could be a collective, could have a collective voice, um, but also protect his 
identity as well in the cause. So uh, that's where it, the initial interest came out of. And again, it it was about this uh, collective, a collective face or a collective yeah. body in the same way that camouflage works. Um, because it, yeah. de it de-sexes individuals in mm -hmm. a way, right? Mm -hmm. And you do that yeah. on purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And the and then the other, another piece of yours, the space for cryptic powers, a lot of the stuff in the Steve Turner contemporary mm -hmm. show dealt mm -hmm. directly with the anonymous group, which I found interesting because I, and I'm, I may be off base here, but mm -hmm. for, you know, up next to the Pussy Riot type of pieces, I always think of the anonymous group as just necessarily male mm -hmm. for some reason. It all, I mean, besides just they have a the male. guy the, the <laughs> Besides that, yeah. besides just the guy <laughs> Fox mask, yeah. just kind of everything they do, it's like they're hackers, they're mm -hmm. tech, new, uh, tech dudes, mm -hmm. you know, and so I found, I found that kind of, it's mm -hmm. weird, it was like a kind of a somewhat gendered space, I felt like, in the show. Yeah. But then, so, but you made a pavilion, and tell me about this, the, the space for cryptic powers. Uh, so again, I, was, I guess I was thinking about that structure as a philosophical space in the gallery that someone could sit in there and kind of contemplate um, the, the, the ideas that I was throwing up in relation to masking, but also that there's a history of camouflage and masking that relates to, uh, I guess, magic and illusion as well, that, um, they're, they're, yeah, that... that I wanted to reference that by calling the work cryptic powers. Um, but also there's a ready-made bandana that's integrated into the canopy of that work. And so the canopy can come off and also be a poncho that you could potentially wear. So it, when you reverse it, it becomes, um, yeah, becomes a poncho. And then also uh, through my research, I was starting to see that there was a lot of overlaps between different movements. Like the black block movement would sometimes wear the anonymous masks. Sometimes in the Pussy Riot, Free Pussy Riot movement, they would have knitted anonymous balaclavas. And then also the kafir was being worn throughout those different protest movements. So there was a lot of different, I guess, overlaps. And so that pavilion was kind of, I guess, just specifically drawing links between the black block uh, bandanas, paisley bandanas, and then the anonymous masks. And even that, some of the anonymous masks had been translated into bandanas. So it's kind of talking about, I guess, this history of camouflage and history of masking to protect the body, whether it was in hunting or protest or conflict, um, and then, yeah, drawing more contemporary links between those different movements through the fabric. Cool. But, yeah, the Guy Fawkes mask is used by um, so many different groups. I mean, it's linked specifically to the hacktivist group Anonymous, but, um, yeah, it's used for a whole, yeah, a whole range of different movements. I just well. maybe want to say that, that the perception that, that hackers or computer people are dudes that's, uh, is that's prevalent, but probably yeah. not probably not true, yeah. right? Or I don't know, no one knows. Uh, I don't know what the percentage breakdown is, um, but the one of the works in the Steve Turner show was actually from Steubenville, from the Steubenville case, and so there's a subsection of the anonymous group that go out and protest rape. Um, causes and so uh, I was specifically interested in having that represented in the show because it was one case where actually having the mask protected the victims and also protected people in the small town uh, in relation to being able to protest the the case and so uh, 
yeah, I thought that was um, a kind of cool development that the mask could have a extremely practical use in that case. Yeah. 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 So Anna, we want to ask you if you could kind of give us some words to understand Jemima's practice as well. Mm. Um, well, I mean, her practice is fairly complicated at this point, but I, I think um, what I've been really interested in recently is the way that it's going between imaging bodies in this kind of anthropological or sociological way, and then also in creating a space for the viewer or the participant to inhabit themselves. And I think that that's really important, especially when you think about um, the way that the art world does and doesn't engage in overtly political um, topics sometimes. Or they do it and it's really cheesy or obvious. Yeah, right? yeah. And so I appreciate the way Jemima's kind of going between um, being an observer herself and um, observing these patterns and um, that are actually quite useful to know about because it is useful to know that these probably girls in Ohio are using the masking to to have agency and be able to protest and still stay, stay safe. Um, so Jemima's going between observing, but then also really saying, like, look, try it out, be embodied, and um, see what that's like, too. And that's where I think the, the safe space of, of contemporary art and the safe space of the gallery is actually a really positive thing, where you can say, try on the mask or try on this political position. Um, while you're out tonight and see what it's like. And I, given, the, uh, given the way things are going, I think it's important that people have the opportunity to um, think about themselves as, as people who can resist. It's a different way of like putting on a mask, playing dress up, you know, it's a different kind of masquerade ball because of the, the, the Pussy Riot balaclava, the bright color one, or the Guy Fox mask. It is so suffused in culture that this is some kind of just putting that on is a site of resistance. It's just by putting it, putting something like that on really changes just Which, how you embody, how you yeah. are, are embodying, you know, yourself or even just occupying space. Well, but you then know. it becomes something that you're not just seeing go by you in your feed, you know, yeah. like over and over again, but it's separate from you. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also the mask has become super important because of the development of technology and surveillance too. It's like we're so surveilled and so imaged that it is important even when you're on the ground, like protesting yeah. now because everyone has their cell phones out. And so it's, yeah, it's even more crucial. Well, we're going to pause for a second um, uh, for some more music and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Anna Mare and Jemima Wyman's collaborative project, Cam Lab. Just 
Welcome back to The People on Kei Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White. And I'm Matthew Timmons. If you're in Chinatown, Los Angeles, you can listen to The People by setting your dial to 1630 AM or listen to the live stream at keichungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. The People is hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page to find out more about the show. So the music you just heard was The Heart Wants What It Does, also by Hotel LaRue. Hotel LaRue is Adrian Tenney, John Barlog, and Jade Thacker. Cam Lab is a collaboration between our guests today on The People, Anna Mayer and Jemima Wyman, um, who uh, created Cam Lab in 2005 at California Institute of the Arts, where they met. And they've shown all over the place, really, at MOCA, at Torrance Art Museum, at Hammer Museum, and, and many, many other places. Uh, and they've also recently co-taught at the Oxbow School of Art in Michigan. So first off, could you guys kind of just share with us how this collaboration kind of came to be and what's been, well, now it's like a, a long-running collaboration, but what's been the dynamic like and how that has changed over the years? Yeah, I think it, it developed out of... Pe- personal jokes between us and actually realizing that that could be interesting and could be work. And so we found that when we our personalities combined in making work, it was kind of had a casualness to it and a different kind of tone than our individual practices and was liberating in a sp- specific way that we both found interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's my take we, on it. <laughs> um, we were asked to... Well, we were invited to make work for a show that our colleague, Audrey Chan, who we went to CalArts with, she um, just put together a kind of casual show at the end of our first semester, and we were invited to do something, and we ended up making our first collaborative work for that called Houndstooth Camel Toe. And, um, and it was a Houndstooth Camel Toe. <laughs> And from and so from the very beginning, we were really interested in the idea that we would make work out of um, shared ideas and shared skills. So you know, the training at CalArts is very specific, and um, in some in some would view it as very narrow. <laughs> but so we have you know we have that shared training, um, but then we also have shared skills. So ours isn't really a collaboration where we're like filling in the lack, lack the other in the lack. other person, yeah. but we're really kind of thinking as one. Um, yeah, and we worked really hard early on to do that to where we were working side by side or uh, writing artist statements word for word. And so, yeah, it was really about, like, equal investment uh, in a whole range of ways. So you've kind of consciously worked to train yourselves to collaborate in a way, like sitting down mm-hmm. and writing artist statements next to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's certain a certain amount of, like, face-to-face time working on a project that you need. But you guys have also worked at different times while you're totally separate, right? Like in different countries, yeah? Yeah. I mean, we, when we're apart, we definitely make less work. So, yeah. because it, it is really out of the friendship and time spent, but we, we have done it. Um, yeah. And also, I guess, when we're apart, there's usually a lot more emailing and a lot more Skyping, and so that kind of goes into our archive and then is tapped for future works in some ways. So I guess it's just that the production or the way of producing shifts and, yeah. 
Well, we ask all of our guests here on The People to bring in some audio to share with our audience, and you've brought in a piece of audio. Do you, would you mind setting it up for us before we listen to it? We, yeah, we, I guess we thought that the audio that we selected uh, was appropriate because uh, it's a work that we made in the studio and really early on in the collaboration, so it's very se not self-conscious what <laughs> the right word be, I guess. Yeah, so it was made in a really private space where it was us yeah. listening to a song and singing back into it. Um, and the two and our two voices kind of coalescing and then not coalescing, I guess. And yeah. So you guys like wore headphones and listened to a song and then like kind of tried to sing together. No, we did it separately. Ah. Okay. Yeah, and I would say you know this was 2006 or early 2007, and it was very much bless you. It was it was made very much in the time where we were kind of like dealing with what it was to be a two-headed body body <laughs> and so the because it's not like we just woke up one day and had collapsed our subjectivities into cam labs and like it was all seamless i mean it but now you have <laughs> <laughs> how you see Three it before your eyes yeah. <laughs> it's only one it's, mic. it's hard to see on radio but but it was a process you know it was a process and it was always almost always it was enjoyable because we're friends and we're best friends and so um, that the negotiation always had that as part of it but yeah so I think this, yeah. this so some of those, is about that. Yeah and some yeah. of those early works are kind of metaphors for our like uh, coming together. Yeah coming together or like how it is to, to work whether it's two bodies with one head or yeah well, a two-headed body. <laughs> Oh, this world could use a little 
dun, dun, dun. Oh, oh, just give me to a party. So the song you just heard was Yellow Tea by Cam Lab. And the other music we've been listening to throughout the show was, uh, were two different tracks by Hotel LaRue. And those were written for the Mocha Engagement Party. Can you tell us about Hotel LaRue and how that, you commissioned the work from them. Tell us how that came about and what the engagement party, what was that? Mm -hmm. So the engagement party was a series that was held at MOCA and it was about uh, introducing experimental and innovative social practice into the museum and so we were engaged specifically to do that. That would be the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Yeah. Correct. So we did three, through that program we did three events at the museum and um, we tried to work with our community as much as possible, and so we loved Hotel LaRue's music. Um, they're friends of ours, and uh, so we commissioned them to do some music for us, and, and then the music throughout the series um, sometimes was like interstitial. Some uh, It was part of... Um, it was a played kind of in continuous the... Continuous yeah. back, background mm. in the Rothko room, and... Um, and then they played live on the last, on the third and final of the series, so... Well, yeah. maybe you could walk us through the different things that were going on sure. mm -hmm. in, in the engagement party. So for the first um, event, which was called Dubious Equalities, we took over the, um, the foyer of the Grand Avenue location and also the Rothko Room, which is the first one of the mm -hmm. first galleries you can enter, and it's full of Mark Rothko paintings. And we turned the foyer into a waiting room that was also uh, had fo uh, folders that were labelled empathy and misunderstanding, and people could 
uh, stand up and do self-initiated readings. At, so there were two podiums with like mics, just yeah, live there was, open yeah, mics. Yeah. yeah. So there was one one podium had a duo mic, so you could do a duologue, um, and another podium had a single mic. So. And so that room was the waiting room to wait to go into the rest and boudoir room, which is what we called the Rothko room. And in there we had a kind of bedroom set up and we invited people to don costumes and um, be on the bed with their friends, um, posing for the photo booth mirror effect, which was on a laptop sitting on the bed. Mm -hmm. um, and that and was like broadcast. Those images were broadcast room. out to the waiting room. So, uh, you know, collecting texts and asking people to, to um, browse them and choose one and speak it aloud is something that we've used before. And um, it's, it's really important to us as a strategy where people get to kind of inhabit other subjectivities and speak things that they wouldn't necessarily speak otherwise and to do it for a group um, that has reactions and then is implicated in that they may get up next and, and do the same thing. And so we were interested in setting up this kind of public space for speech, but then also this very private space um, where people could be really absorbed and, and embodied on the bed performing for this mirroring mm. thing that, that does kind of suck you in and you just get into to making the images. Yeah. And with this, it's important, too, because it connects with the kind of cam camouflaging and masking is that the bed, it, it was a bed and the sheets were made out of, like, a kind Ro of material, yeah. Rothko so paintings, Yeah, so we, right? for, the, uh, for the three-part series, we designed fabric or specifically set, uh, selected fabric that had images that related to the project. So for the dubious equalities, we designed fabric that was based on the Jim Isman work in, in the, the lobby, lobby and then the, the yeah. yeah and then the fabric in the Rustin Boudoir room was based on the Rothkos but then with added oysters and rust and so kind of referencing this really visceral bodily space um, and it's pushed up against the transcendental you know history of the Rothkos uh -huh. or something so and you had people come in and like you had cl a clothing rack full of also mm -hmm. like jackets and floppy hats in the mm -hmm. same material and it's one of the it's a it's a thing that you guys have used before where you know then your face is just lost in this kind of repetitive pattern and it's mm -hmm. and so there's some images on on you know from the Mocha engagement party website where you just see people and they're a they're just a, a wash of these of this pattern with just their faces like rah, you know floating in some kind of strange space mm -hmm. yeah Great technique, love it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, especially with that, because we, in our research, we had looked at all these images of private homes with Rothkos hanging in them, and then with fake Rothkos hanging in them, where it's kind of been taken up by decor, and it's Roth Rothko-esque. And, but, so we were really, one part of taking over the Rothko room was, about us taking advantage of the situation that we were in where we could kind of create 
a private space that lots of different kinds of people could inhabit and become absorbed in other things within that room. And that's not necessarily something that we'll ever get to do again. <laughs> or, yeah. um, so we, we were interested in offering people that experience as well. And highlighting this other way to be embodied in relation to that work, perhaps. And like not getting lost in the painting or as Jemima said, the transcendental experience of the painting where it's body to painting or vision to painting or something, but yeah, allowing, producing this other kind of experience in, in the midst of those paintings. And through the costuming, so, so through people donning the garments, they could kind of merge with each other and merge with the space. And, and what you're just kind of gliding over because you're not uh, crazy people <laughs> is... <laughs> is the fact that Cam Labs, all of Cam Labs' work, for the, I think all of it, is designed, it seems, specifically to fill people like me with uh, severe anxiety. <laughs> you know, people who, who, have a, who have a touch of, uh, who suffer from social anxiety or, like, touching a stranger, like, are you kidding me? You know, or someone I know. Like, it's, you guys are talking about it in this mellow way, but for me, and there's other people, obviously, mm. Who are like, I'm not going. No, we yeah. think of you. you know? yeah, I mean, the, the feed. The feed <laughs> You're a part of the, the, the people that we talk about in right. the, when we're having coffee yeah. to work out the work. Is I mean, like, the, the feed from the Rust and Blue Door. Blue Dwar room was for you, and we also we think very carefully about when someone first encounters the work, what are they going to see, and we don't want them to see something that feels really exclusionary or complicated to engage with, but we kind of want it to be very clear what's happening. Mm -hmm. So then if you get in or you don't get in or you enter or you don't enter, you're still kind of understanding that this is about bringing bodies together in a certain way or bringing voices together in a certain way. Right. And there is always this... We care this, about you, Ben. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but also there's this visual metaphor for embodiment through the fabric and also um, with the circulating suits and some of the more architectural garments that we've made where bodies kind of hop in and do things. I guess what's generated for the people that don't hop into the work is the fantasy space of what is happening in there or what is this, what is the other narrative that goes with the work or something. Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> I mean, and I'm joking, but that, like, yeah. you know, that that points out the, you know, not just that I'm out of my mind, but that, like, that what you're doing addresses this very prevalent thing yeah. in our society of like not getting getting close to other people like personal space and 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 privacy it's yeah. it's an issue yeah and i feel like the, there's pieces that you guys have done that and, I, and and maybe even these like this series a little bit but where you also work with the kind of anxiety social anxiety or awkwardness as a material as well yeah like, like and i'm thinking about the leslie dick uh, or Dan Graham show that you guys changed the name to Leslie Dick, um, yeah. which is great. And uh, you guys had a, there was something about psychoness as a thing. And so it's not all, the type of stuff that you guys are doing aren't all, isn't always just about everybody get together, you know. I mean, it uh, is, but there's also, I feel like there's something more like real about the kind mm. of 
inter, you know, interactive spaces you guys are creating. Oh, and we often use language to have a space for those th that complexity to kind of be elaborated and on I, as well realize, outside of just the nonverbal yeah. visceral space. And I realize like the, the better example is like that that waiting room, the two notebooks you had, mm. misunderstanding and empathy. So it's not just that kind of an empathy for another being, another body that creates an intimacy. There's also like what is it when you, you know a, an attempt is made and just like people just don't get it. You know, there isn't that misunderstanding. Yeah. You know, that that's like, you know, that's something that is, is part of the work, you know. Yeah. And I, we also, you know, use ourselves and our relationship to kind of keep that at the fore. I was talking to someone the other day. It just came up because um, for the second engagement party event where we programmed these um five customized yurts with different workshops outside of Mocha Gaffin. We had um, we had Nancy um, Soto. Soto, who's a, a fashion designer. She designed the outfits that Jemima and I wore that night. And well, anyway, I was talking about s structured clothing with someone the other day, and I mentioned that Nancy in those outfits had used horsehair to structure the legs of the outfit, so they're these jumpers with the hips kind of come out because of the horse hair. They kind of like oompa loompa pants. Oompa loompa <laughs> is the shape. quickest sound and, and the person that I was talking to you said, I mean, did it look good? And, and I said, yeah. well, I said, well, I mean, they were great and they were really fun to wear, but it was it was a lot about us wearing those outfits so that other people in attendance would feel comfortable participating in the workshops and donning the costumes that we had provided for each of the workshops in each of the yurts. And um, I mean, that's not the only reason we costume ourselves, but I, I feel like that is a way of making our bodies and our presence visible um, to make the work more accessible. And so we're always asking the visitor or the participant in our work to do something that we're already doing or that we would would do. It's never about kind of working outside of that range. So. Right. And can you tell us about the third, just the third part, the mm -hmm. two in the bush? Yeah, two in the bush uh, was focused... Uh, <laughs> we, so we did outside of the Grand Avenue on the big plaza there under the Nancy Rubens, Rubens. sculpture. We um, had a really, really large-scale fabric work that could hold about six, was it 60 or 60. 80 bodies? 60 bodies. And the theme of the night was economics, so we invited people to sit in, in the um, relational garment and... Um, convert currency, so the fa the fabric was hundred dollar bills and potatoes, and so people doodled in. They sat and talked and doodled while they were wearing the mm. costume, and then at the same time we had this vagina wishing well that people were tossing pennies provided by us into it, and throughout the evening we would sort of change what 
the group was wishing on, we would poll the group and ask them what they wanted the group to be wishing on, and then we would um, make that the point of the wishing well. And there was six steel drums that were embedded in the vagina wishing well. And then another component of the work was that we donated a portion of our budget to wage, so working artists against the, in the, for in the, the greater, greater economy. economy. <laughs> the greater economy yeah. And so it was really important to us that, that we make that kind of real-time, real-money gesture and that it uh, went on record with the, with the museum. There that, was like a plaque that mm-hmm. was put up mm-hmm. that It night, was right? their yeah. Woe Manifesto. Yeah. And so <laughs> as far as we know, that's the first time artists have engaged wage in that way. So, you know, the idea is that museums will engage wage as um, a kind of like auditor organization where wage co- the museum pays wage to come in and make sure that they're compensating artists adequately. Um, but we just sort of circumvented that and gave them our own money. Yeah. yeah. And so I guess we were thinking about currency also as a relational device or relational object uh, in a really, I guess that would be the simplest way to talk about that event. Um, but yeah, and so then it was about evoking that in different ways through the work. Well, before we wrap it up, I know you guys have a show coming up. Can you tell mm-hmm. us about that real quick? We do. We're going to do a show at the Center for the Arts Eagle Rock um, here in Los Angeles, and it'll open mid-November, and it'll be all new work. And we just this summer uh, taught intensively at Oxbow, as you mentioned, and we taught a class on relational objects and Lydia Clark's practice. Um, So we've been doing a lot of research and thinking around some of those ideas that will maybe come up in the show. Yeah, and we're excited to work at that site specifically because it's so community-focused and it's a part of our community and it's very... Used to be a library. Yeah, Yeah, and it's really close to where we live. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... um, that's we'll, a we'll kind keep, of starting point Yeah, we'll for the keep work. everybody updated on Excellent. when well, it opens. Well, Anna Mayer and Jemima Wyman, you are the people. Thank you for talking with us. Thanks so Thank much for you. having us. <laughs> You've been listening to The People on Kei Chung, 1630 AM. You can listen to The People every third Sunday at 3 here in Chinatown, Los Angeles. You can set your dial to 1630 AM or listen to the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G radio.org. And you can go to insertblancpress.net and click on the people at the top of the page to find out more about the show. Have you ever met a girl that you tried to date? But a year to make love, she wanted you to wait. Let me tell you a story of my situation. I was talking to this girl from the U.S. nation. The way that I met her was on tour at a concert. She had long hair and a short miniskirt. I just got on stage dripping, pouring with sweat. I was walking through the crowd, and guess who I met? I whispered in her ear, come to the picture booth so I can ask you some questions to see if you're 100 proof. I asked her her name, she said blah, blah, blah. She had nine pimp pants and a very big bra. I took a couple of flicks and she was enthused. I said, how do you like the show? She said I was very amused. I started throwing bass, she started throwing back mid-range. But when I sprung the question, she acted kind of strange. Then when I asked, do you have a man? She tried to pretend. She said, no, I don't. I only have a friend. Come on, I'm not even going for it.
Here's what I'm going to sing. 